All right, First Samuel chapter 30. Let's turn there together. If you were here last week, David had gotten himself into quite a jam. He was forced to flee from the land of Israel to the only safe place he could still find, which was among the Philistines, his enemies. And David found himself there serving the king of the Philistines and he got put into a pretty tight jam because the king of the Philistines decided he was going to go to war with the Israelites and with Saul. And he says to David, now don't you have any illusions, you're coming with me. In fact, I'm going to keep watch over you. You're going to be fighting right next to me, you and your men, as my personal bodyguard. And David couldn't do anything about it. There was no escape for him. What could David do? He was trapped. But because of the intervention, the Lord working through even the enemies of David, the Philistine generals who got jealous and suspicious of David and said, no, 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 this man and his army... Send them back where they came from. They're not going into war with us. We found David, against all odds, escaping before the dawn of the day of the battle. Out the other end of chapter 29, quietly making their way back home. However, this morning we realize that God had another reason for setting David free from the pickle that he was in. Sometimes when God removes us from one battlefield, it's because He knows that we're needed in another one. I think about the wolves and their family who moved here because of a career move. Or we think about the Dickerts who were forced to find a new home church. Sometimes the Lord moves us from one battlefield to another because He knows we're needed where he's moving us. And I think we can all say about those families and many others who've come here, the Lord has brought us here from many other places. He's moved us from one battlefield to another because he had a purpose for us there. Well, David escapes the battlefield of chapter 29 only to enter a much more urgent, important battle in chapter 30. David had everything to lose with the battle happening in chapter 29. He has everything to gain in chapter 30. In fact, this is the last thing we're going to see David do in this book. His last official act, his final battle before you turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 1, David becomes king. This is his last official act before he's crowned as king. And it's a fitting passage for us this Palm Sunday as we ponder the final battle of Jesus Christ before he was crowned as the Messianic king. So if you haven't turned there already, let's turn together to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And why don't we follow along together as we ponder this amazing story on this Palm Sunday. Let's stand together as we read God's word together. (coughs) 
Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went, to, and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voice and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because of all the people, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out, and the six hundred men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and four hundred men. Two hundred stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate and they gave him water to drink and they gave him a piece of a cake of of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong? And where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negev and the Cherethites, and against which belonged to Judah, and against the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. David said to him, Will you take me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me, Or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except four hundred young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing. Whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken, David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. Then David came to the two hundred men who had been exhausted, too exhausted to follow David. And, when he had been, and who had been left at the brook Besor. And they went out to, to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had, not, who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is, 
who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoils to his friends, to the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present from you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. It was for those in Bethel and Ramoth of the Negev and Jatir and Erewer and Sifmon and Eshtemio and Rakal and the cities of, Jer- of the Jeremielites and the cities of the Kenites and Horma and Borashan and Athak in Hebron for all the places where David and his men had roamed. Amen. You may be seated. If you've ever spent time watching a nature show that features lions, you know that lions are dastardly predators. Because the way that a lion works is, isn't that they go for the, the strong, the able. What do they do? They bide their time and they wait for the straggler, the young one, you know, the one that maybe has a little bit of an injury that they notice is lagging behind the rest of them. They don't go for the pack, the strong, the healthy. They go for that one or two that seems to be lagging behind. Pardon me again for a minute. If you all see my children in need, please feel free to just step forward and help them out, all right? Whether during music or during the sermon, um, we're a church family, and, and sometimes my kids need some help from their church family, so uh, don't feel like you're overstepping or that Mindy and I are going to be offended. You just go ahead and step in and help. <laughs> all right. I have no idea where I was. Okay, so we were talking about lions and how lions are dastardly little predators. And you know what? The Amalekites are just like lions. This is their mode of operation. They don't go and attack the men. They don't attack David's army. They wait for David and his army to be preoccupied, to be carried off and trapped with their little uh, ordeal in chapter 29. And while David and his men are away, the Amalekites come and sweep off the tail. The women, the children, the defenseless, these shameless Amalekites come through and sweep the whole town away and burn it with fire. And you know what? This isn't the first time they've done this. When Israel was passing through the wilderness, 
This was the Israelites' first encounter with the Amalekites, was that the Amalekites, they went behind the people of Israel, taking pot shots at the elderly, the sick, the poor, the defenseless, who were the back end of the people. And for that reason, God said, I'm going to wage war against the Amalekites until they are gone forever. And you can imagine the emotional roller coaster that David and his men are now going through. Here they are. They've just been set free from what seemed like an impossible situation. They're catching their breath. They're <laughs> hightailing it back home. And as they crest the hill and they're excited to see Ziklag come into, into view, what they see instead of their hometown is a pile of ashes and smoldering flames and smoke. And as they hurry into the town, they find that not a single soul has been left. That every home has been looted and burned to the ground. And nothing is left. Verse 3 of chapter 30 tells us, And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire. And their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. And you can just imagine this was the straw to break the camel's back for these men. In their minds, they're thinking, after all that we've been through, all of the running from cave to cave in the wilderness, all of the living under the threat of death as outlaws, of having to escape to foreign lands, of hiking up and down mountains, hiding in foreign territories, living homeless in the forest. We followed you forever, David, up to this point, and this is how it's going to end? Verse 4. Then David and the people were, who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Look at verse 6. David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter of soul. Each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. So David's men are ready to abandon the mission. Abandon the kingdom. Abandon God's promises. Stone David and let's move on. But then we read, David did something different. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He put on the ephod. He fell on his face and he sought the Lord. Look at verse 8. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. In this first part of our story, we find the messianic promise. The messianic promise is this. Salvation is sure. It's sure. It's certain. Did you hear the promise that the Lord responded? David says, should I even bother? 
Do I have any guarantee that there's going to be any success? He doesn't even know whether their sons, daughters, and wives are even alive. Should I pursue after them? Is there any hope? And the Lord doesn't say, yeah, you'll, you'll succeed. He says, you shall surely overtake them. You shall surely rescue. As bleak as this moment may look, David, even your own men are doubting the mission at this point. Everyone has abandoned you. The Lord gives David this messianic promise. Salvation is sure. When we turn to the Gospels and we read about the last week of Jesus' life, it feels out of order. It's backwards. Jesus is riding in a victory parade on Palm Sunday. And then he's being crucified by the end of the week. Jesus comes riding into the capital city of the kingdom of his people. And we read about it this morning, how they're laying out a red carpet, all their garments and cloaks along the way. And they're waving palm branches. And they're celebrating a victory that <coughs> has not yet come. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Imagine, just imagine, if back in January, a week before the Clemson-Alabama football game, imagine if Clemson had planned a victory parade through the streets a week before they played against Alabama. How foolish would that be? How audacious, right? To celebrate a victory that hasn't happened yet. But that is exactly what Jesus is doing on Palm Sunday. He celebrates his victory, his kingdom, his eternal conquest a full week before Easter. Why? Because he has the messianic promise. Salvation is not in doubt. Salvation is sure. That's the glory of Palm Sunday. Our King Jesus rode into Jerusalem in a victory parade because He was so certain that a week later He would be walking out of the grave. He was sure of it. You shall surely overtake. You shall surely rescue. It's the messianic promise. What if we lived like Palm Sunday kind of Christians? Now that's the victorious Christian life. It's not about having, you know, big benzes and uh, multi-million dollar homes and, and successful careers and political power. It's about marching forth, believing as though the promises of God are already yours in Jesus Christ. It's the confidence that everything that God has promised us will come true. It is sure and steadfast in our Messiah, Jesus. What if rather than walking into our life just expecting defeat after defeat in our battle with sin, that we actually expected to win? What if we entered the battle with temptation knowing the victory is ours? What if we shared the gospel with our neighbors and our friends or we sought to raise up and send missionaries or to raise up pastors and we didn't enter into it expecting them to reject it but that we expected 
That because of the promise of God, salvation is sure that as we share the gospel, people will be saved. What if we entered into our battle with lust or our temptation toward gossip or toward being anxious in our hearts and we fully believe that Jesus will deliver us, will rescue us, He will grant us the victory. That's the audacity of Palm Sunday. And that's the way that we ought to live our lives even as we wait for the day when Jesus comes back and we're all raised from the dead. Now this doesn't mean there will not be sorrow. On Palm Sunday, Jesus is celebrating a victory, but the greatest sorrow in the history of the world is awaiting Him on that Friday. And He says to each and every one of us, you take up your cross and follow Me. David and his men this morning, they weep until they have no more tears left to cry. Weep. When sorrow comes, when you have to bear your cross, it's okay to feel that crushing experience and to weep. When you lose everything for the sake of Jesus Christ, weep. Throw yourself at the feet of the Lord. Plead with Him for strength. But we have to be those who do not weep without hope. When we suffer, we weep as Palm Sunday Christians We know that on the other side of the cross there is Easter Sunday. It is sure. Salvation is guaranteed because we have the messianic promise. And you know what? That promise was all that David needed because the moment the Lord said it, David was up on his feet rallying his troops and going to war. So they make it halfway. 200 of the men are so exhausted from the, the weeping, the emotion, and, and, to, and all of the turmoil of, ha- of being dragged across all of God's green earth with the Philistines, they can't make it any further. David says, it's fine. You guys, you stay with the baggage. We'll continue. We'll bring, we'll bring back what we find. Then verse 11, it says, they found an Egyptian in the open country. And so the men brought him to David and they gave him bread and he ate and they gave him water drink and they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit was revived for he hadn't eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, to whom do you belong and, and where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man of, the, of Egypt servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We made a raid against the Negev and the Cherethites and against that which belonged to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Will you take me down at this band? And he said, You swear to, me, swear to me by your God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down. Well, before we even get into the second half of this chapter, the experience of this insignificant castaway slave foreshadows what's about to happen for all of David's people. This castaway, worthless, sick slave discarded in the wilderness by his wicked Amalekite master is nursed back to full strength. His spirit is revived by David. You know, I think David may have learned a thing or two from his wife Abigail about providing hospitality for people in the wilderness. Y'all remember that story? Yeah. 
Yeah, sounds a little bit like David's been getting some lessons. <laughs> but the Bible tells us when this Egyptian slave had eaten, his spirit revived. This Egyptian slave was fully restored. On the third day, he was brought back to life. Even before we get to the battle, we see the purpose, the Messiah's purpose, which is this, full restoration. What he's done for the Egyptian is what he's about to do for every Amalekite captive. Full restoration. This is the messianic purpose. What was begun in seed form for this Worthless Egyptian we see begins to bleed into the whole rest of the chapter. Full restoration. Verse 16. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over the land. That's the Amalekites. Eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. And David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, son or daughter, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all of it. Nothing missing. Not a stray lamb, not a garment. Not a child, not a wife. Nothing was missing, whether great or small, son or daughter, spoil or anything that had been taken. David didn't bring back some. He didn't bring back most or a lot of it. David brought back. He fully restored all of it. Everything. The messianic purpose is full restoration. As we read this story, and I mean, who can miss the connection? This Egyptian man revived his spirit, brought back to life on the third day. I mean, come on. But the truth of the matter is when Jesus came out of the grave, it wasn't just so that a Jewish man would be brought back to life. When Jesus came back to life, when his spirit was revived the third day, it was not just to bring life to him, but to bring full restoration to all things. The Bible calls Jesus the firstborn from among the dead. He was only the beginning of a full restoration of the heavens and the earth. Every captive would be set free. Every slave sick in sin would be fully healed. Every slave under the power of Satan left to die in the wilderness would be searched out, would be found, and would be nursed back to full health. Fully restored. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus stepped out of the grave on Easter morning, it was the full restoration of the Son of David, yes, but it spelled and it was a promise and the purpose of the Messiah to give to each of us full restoration, remade, renewed after the image of our Maker. Not a wrong in this world that will not be righted 
Not an injustice that will go unpunished. There is not an Amalekite enemy who will not be crushed. There's not a son or daughter among the ransomed church of God that will not be saved to sin no more. That's what we mean. Full restoration. Even the heavens and the earth itself are going to be made new one day. And it all started with a Jewish man walking out of a grave on that Easter Sunday. Total, full, absolute restoration. Do you know what irked the people of Jerusalem the most about Palm Sunday? It was annoying that he came into the city gates and all the parades, but do you know what the most annoying thing was? It was where the end of the parade was. Jesus paraded through the city gates of Jerusalem into the very heart of the city, through the gates of the temple, and into the midst of God's house. And we hear the children as they flood into this temple and they fill it with the same cheers they had outside the gates. Hosanna to the Son of David. Because what Jesus was showing the people was the thing they didn't want. That what they needed wasn't just for themselves to be fully restored. What needed to be fully restored was the presence of God with us. That's what was lacking. The Lord had left His temple, but He was back. That's what we mean when we talk about full restoration. Yes, what a beautiful thing that we will be made new in Jesus Christ, but it is even more beautiful that our Messiah's purpose is to fully restore the presence of God with us. We see that on Palm Sunday. The problem was that on Palm Sunday, not that the people wanted too much from Jesus or expected too much, but it was that they, they actually expected way too little from Him. That Thursday night, that last supper that Jesus shared with His disciples and they gathered around the table, Jesus fed them a meal and He said, this is the only thing that's going to be able to bring full restoration to you. It's me. You need me. You need me to give my body and my blood for you so that you can be fully restored because you belong to a hateful master who's abandoned you to die in the wilderness. Will you and I receive Jesus, the one who has come to fully restore us Will you be willing to admit that you're just like that Egyptian left to die in the wilderness, sick in your sin, abandoned? And here Jesus comes along offering to revive you, to bring you back to life, to fully restore you. And we're going to see with a messianic principle in just a moment, it's beyond what you could believe. But will you repent of your sin and receive restoration in Jesus Christ? The one who climbed up on a cross so that he could give his body and blood to give you life. It's the messianic purpose. Full restoration. Our final point this morning is a blessing. The messianic principle. So we have the messianic promise which is that salvation is sure. It's certain it's going to happen. We have the messianic 
purpose, which is full restoration. And then finally, the messianic principle. And what is it? That all share in his spoil. All share in his spoil. So look at verse 20. They're driving all of these herds in front of David. It says, David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him. And they, they said, they cried out before it, this is David's spoil. So the story goes that the army, they bring all these people and all the stuff and all the flock and herd back to the men that they left behind at the river. And all of a sudden, the men who went with David are starting to realize that David is going to let these men share in the spoil. And said, uh-uh, that's not how this works. The ones who went and fought, they get the spoil. You give them back their families, their wives, their children, and you tell them to get out of here. The ones who went and fought are the ones who get the spoil. But that's when David lays down the messianic principle. Look at verse 23. But David said, No, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And then verse 25. And he made it a statute, a principle, a rule for Israel from that day forward to this very day. It's the Messianic principle. David says they shall share alike. All share in his spoil. David says to his men, don't get confused here. We have done nothing. It's the Lord who gave this to us. This belongs to him. You cannot do this, brothers, with what the Lord has given us. Everyone shares and shares alike in my spoil. And then David even sends gifts back to Judah as if to say, this isn't just a principle that's going to rule over this little band. This is going to be a principle that's going to rule over my entire kingdom. Very shortly, in two chapters' time, David will be the king of Israel. And he's showing, he's sending presents, seeds into the kingdom saying, hey, y'all are going to share my spoil too. This is why the Galileans who followed Jesus to Jerusalem were celebrating. This is why they were shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Not because they were celebrating someone else's king. This is our king. And when our king wins, and whatever he wins, he's going to share with us. That's what they believed. That's why they were celebrating this messianic principle, all share in his spoil. Whatever Jesus wins, whatever he went on to win on the cross, and in his resurrection, we believe this principle stands to this very day. We share and we share alike. Whatever Jesus won, he shares with all his people, all his brothers and sisters. <coughs> Paul writes, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and Fellow heirs with Christ. That's what David's saying here. All sharing the spoil. We're all going to get the inheritance with Jesus. 
Jesus himself promises, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. All share in my spoil. It's the messianic principle. And this is the principle that Jesus lays down on Palm Sunday before he endures the agony of the cross and the victory of his resurrection. His royalty, his victory over sin and death, his dominion over the heavens and the earth. He surveys his kingdom before he enters into it and he says to everyone following him, listen, when I become king, you're all coming with me. You're sharing and you will all share alike. We have the messianic promise this morning. I wonder whether you are struggling to believe that the promises of God are that sure that you will up and walk into your Christian life as though you already have them granted to you in Jesus Christ. Spend time in His Word. Read those promises. Retell them to yourself. Ask the Lord to strengthen you to believe and to live as though they are true, even though we're still waiting for Jesus to come back. The messianic purpose is full restoration. I wonder what part of your life you're content to leave unrestored. What sin are you just comfortable with and saying, you know what, I'm just not going to have victory in this area. Just not going to happen. What are you lacking? What part of you still is waiting to be remade, to be recreated after the image of our Creator? What part of you still needs to be fully restored? What are you lacking? Maybe you lack a love for your neighbors. Maybe you could care less that their marriage is falling apart, that their children are suffering that they need help. Just a few doors down, don't care. Dear God, restore my love for my neighbor. Maybe you're lacking victory over some certain sin, control over your tongue. Maybe you've become so content in not being restored and, and to turn away and repent of that gossip or that slander or that complaining or the, the words of anger that you speak to your children and grandchildren, maybe you've just become content with that. No, Lord Jesus, you have won for me full restoration. I need it. Save me. Make me new. Maybe you're lacking in your giving to your local church or to those in need, and you're just content with it. Dear Lord, grant me full restoration. I want to be generous like you're generous. Maybe you're lacking in reading the Word in prayer. Maybe you're lacking and you know it in the way that you relate to people who are of different color than you in this community. Are you content to stay that way? And you pray, Dear Lord, please restore me from prejudice and the hatred in my heart. The Messianic purpose. Jesus has come to fully restore all of us. And the Messianic principle. All share in His spoil. That's, the way the church, that's why the church looks the way it does in the New Testament. Do you realize that? There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed as, it, as any had need. All are sharing the spoils. 
That should be happening here in the church. The Apostle Paul applies the Messianic principle when he encourages the Romans, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What spiritual gift has God given you that you are meant to share as the spoils of the cross with the rest of us? We can treasure that, that Nathan and Chad recently are being faithful in sharing the spoils of teaching and preaching God's word to us. We need to relish and cherish those opportunities to share in the spoil together. And above all, wherever you may find yourself this Palm Sunday, may we place all of our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. And may it be said of us in our life, but he, but she, but they strengthen themselves in the Lord, their God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would sustain us. We are so feeble. And if you do not feed us day by day with your word, if you do not sustain and revive us by your spirit, we will wilt and fall dead in the wilderness. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've come to give us full restoration. We pray that we would march forth on your promise and that we would enjoy sharing in the spoils that you've given to us. Lord Jesus, we pray that next Sunday might be the day that you return for us and we are made new forever. In your name we trust and pray. Amen.